Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Let's talk some more about this issue about National Farm Care. And back with us on the program, as he was yesterday when we talked about health in this country and uh, specifically how we move ahead, uh, Dr. Neil Rao, infectious diseases specialist, assistant professor of the University of Toronto School of Medicine, former member of the Ontario Committee to Evaluate Pharmaceuticals. Dr. Rao, thanks for coming back. Is Dr. Rao there? Yeah, Dr. Rao, can you hear me? Oh, there you are. No, is he there or not? Just going to restart Zoom. Okay, we have to restart Zoom apparently. So is that my fault too? Oh, it's, that's not my fault. Everything else is today, but but that's not my fault. It is a hugely important issue. You can always call them and do it on the phone, right? Uh, it is a hugely important issue to all of us. And now that we see that the NDP and the Liberals are really their 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 alliance, if you will, their uh, should we call it a cooperative government? Reality seems to hinge on the National Pharmacare Program being passed and uh, put in place. It becomes massively important to all of us. Millions of people in this country have no family doctor. Six million roughly have no family doctors. As we've said many times, the actual chain of healthcare breaks down at the first link. Do we have Dr. Rao now? Okay, don't let me know. Huh? Uh, <laughs> We're going to be just fine. There's there's no help for the condition that, uh, that Tom and I have right now. But it's hugely, hugely important. Six million people have no family doctor. Where do you go? You go to the ER. We know the ERs have massive troubles. We have the president of the Canadian Medical Association. Tell us about that just a few weeks ago. Where do you go? A walk-in clinic? They're just going to send you somewhere else. And the problem becomes larger and larger as doctors age more quickly than the general population and then uh, they retire faster than, than the general population does. So medication becomes increasingly important. Pharmacare is increasingly important. But is it is the answer really to turn it over to government supervision? Dr. Neil Rao is with us on The Roy Green Show. Thanks for being patient. We did that to, this to you yesterday. Zoom worked yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, something didn't work today. Something didn't work yesterday. You don't have a little black cloud following you around, do you, Doctor Rao? Nope. <laughs> no, just just you dealing with me. So let, let's let's just get to the fundamentals here of uh, of our healthcare national healthcare program. Do you support the, what the liberals and the NDP are, are say they want to put in place? Is it fundamentally a good idea? For everyone, I don't think it's the answer. I will speak now more as a, just as a physician, forget my prior role looking at reimbursement, which we can talk about later if we have time. 
When I see patients who are lower income, but they are not on welfare and they're not elderly, it's that group that Sean Watley was talking about just now, that group that's sort of they're the lower middle class squeeze and then they can't afford their drug deductible and they stop taking their medications, I think that's a very sad thing. And we need to have some solution for that problem. Many people who are better off, not lower middle class, will have at least a drug plan through work. So private, uh, there's sort of uh, a tapestry of different forms of coverage uh, uh, manages to look after everyone. But there is this group of people that I think still needs to be covered and that we have forgotten where they can fall through the cracks. The other thing is that we have an example in Ontario called Trillium, where people who are not on welfare or not elderly can apply, and then there's a means test. And if they pay more than a certain percentage of their income towards drugs, then they're reimbursed. That deductible that they're paying is currently 3 or 4% of their income. And so for someone who's lower income, that could be a sizable amount of money, depending on what condition they have, say if they have diabetes. If we can lower that deductible for people who are lower income, that could achieve the same thing without a whole elaborate national process. Each province could be funded to improve their equivalent of the Trillium program. I think there are simpler solutions than setting up a whole bureaucracy and a national program with lists of what drugs are covered or not. There is a disparity between provinces as to what drugs are covered. If we can even make that more uniform with the Pan-Canadian Pricing Alliance model that has already been developed by governments, we could harmonize between provinces and have the same kind of coverage. We're still going to have a problem where there's a first class and a second class when it comes to drug reimbursement. We can't have everybody fly business. Mm. Uh, most of your patients would require medication, right? Infectious yes. diseases. So I was thinking of HIV patients, for example. Mm-hmm. Every HIV patient has access to drugs, but they're the odd people who have trouble shouldering that tax, sorry, that, that deductible portion that they have to pay if they don't have a private insurance plan for work or if they're not on the government uh, Ontario Drug Benefit Program, which applies to people who are very low income or elderly. Do all the provinces have a program similar to the one you mentioned in Ontario, the Trillium Program? So BC has a similar program, but what's different about BC's is that the more money you make, the more you pay, even if you're older. Ontario has something of a sacred trust. It's 170 bucks or something of that scale. And it doesn't matter if you're a multimillionaire or not. Once you hit 65, you don't pay more than a certain amount. This would be the third rail of politics to play around with this, for sure, for politicians. But we could have an adult conversation about the idea that even if you're older, if you're higher income, and many older people are beneficiaries of real estate gains and other, other fortunate events financially, maybe they should be paying more of their deductible. And that way, people who are lower income, who are not 65, can actually be subsidized to pay less, and then they don't fall between the cracks. That, that, that group that Sean Watley and I have been, have been speaking of. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when, when governments get involved and there seems to be near panic between the Liberals and the NDP federally now, let's, for God's sake, hang on to our coalition because if we don't, there'll be an election and we'll get wiped out. In an election, we just heard earlier how likely it is the conservatives will have a massive majority government were an election to be called now. 
So the, the political interest is in creating a dynamic that, uh, that keeps the coalition in place. And when governments get involved, there always has to be a big bureaucracy to handle the smallest of issues. Not that this is a small issue. It's a huge issue. I just worry that the bureaucracy may turn out to be the same that is handling healthcare now. I know there are 13 different uh, bureaucracies across the country, but I worry that it's going to be the same sort of thing with bureaucrats deciding what medications are even allowed to into Canada if they're going to be paid for in, in, in whole or in part by the government. I just, I, I guess I'm, ag I'm agreeing with what you're saying. They're, they're, they're swatting a flea with a 50 caliber machine gun. Well, I think we'll still have access to every drug in Canada. The question is whether it will be paid for for everyone. And then you will have certain people from certain parts of the political spectrum saying that we have an unfair system that's not equitable, where richer people have access to better drugs. In some ways, this has been leveled a bit with drug reimbursement on the public level, covering almost every drug except some really exceptional ones like those for cystic fibrosis that were just discussed by uh, Dr. Watley. But generally speaking, most of the good drugs that people need are covered. I think we can just smooth the edges on our current system without reinventing the whole thing or by harmonizing across provinces what some of them do. If you could just get them together and all agree to do the same thing mm -hmm. and lower that deductible for the equivalent of trillium, I think we could still get to the same endpoint and deal with those people who might fall between the cracks. Getting people to take their medications is its own separate challenge. There are people who have very good reimbursement who just don't like taking their pills. And that's a whole separate challenge. Mm -hmm. There's no question that for some drugs, if you cover them, even if the drug costs money, there's a whole system's savings by having them take their medication. They won't end up in the hospital. So HIV is a great example. If someone doesn't take their HIV drugs, they're ultimately going to end up in the hospital and die, and they might even die young if they don't get treated. Viral hepatitis, if you cure people with hepatitis C, there can be health system savings that are a big payoff relative to the cost of the drug, depending on how the drug is priced. But in some other cases, it's not so clear cut. And then the question becomes, what's a fair price for governments to pay? And that's still the elephant sitting in the room. Whatever we do, drug reimbursement and getting fair pricing is a tug of war between the manufacturers and governments. And it's never, it's, it's always Solomon's justice what the final result is. Yeah. So Dr. Rao, how, does, how is that done? How do you evaluate pharmaceuticals? How does it work? So first of all, I want to point out that the provincial level has changed a lot over the past few years. It's become more of a national process now. So there is uh, an organization called CATF Committee to Evaluate Drugs, Technology, and Health that reviews any new drug that is submitted to them by the manufacturer. So let me give you a theoretical example because I'm not involved in any of the decision-making. Supposing Ozempic, you know, the great weight loss lowering drug you've heard about, came before CATF, right? Ozempic would have been tested in trials for certain types of what we call indication uses. And weight loss may not have been one of them, but diabetes is one of them. And they make an assessment of the effectiveness of the drug and then look at the price of the drug and look how it compares with pre-existing drugs and make a decision based on the economics and on the results, whether this drug should be reimbursed. And then the question becomes, at what price? And it also becomes, 
for what type of situation. So maybe it's good for a certain niche situation where people have tried other drugs and failed. When it comes to using it first line, it's too expensive. Or maybe for weight loss, it's really expensive. And if you were to fund it for weight loss, so many of us <laughs> are above ideal body weight that the numbers would be staggering and it wouldn't be reimbursable from a public plan. So those are the kinds of decisions that are made. And, and sometimes drugs are rejected because they have a safety profile problem or a untested safety profile problem or unclear utilization. In other words, a drug could be overused. It could be crazily used because you can't clarify who needs it and who should get it or shouldn't get it. So it's impossible to target the right patient population. The pricing decisions are made by the Pan-Canadian Drug Alliance, which is separate from the people who evaluate the drugs. Now what is happening is that one organization tries to establish a price for reimbursement for all provinces. There used to be each province making its decision in the era when I was sitting on the committee to evaluate drugs. So you had different decisions by different provinces. Now it's being harmonized where one decision is made, it's winner takes all if you're approved and you get a good price, all provinces are on. And if you're not approved or you can't come to a fair price, no provinces go on. So that's the model it's moved to. Do your patients worry? Patients worry. I think the people who would most worry are ones with unusual diseases where the best drug is the Cadillac drug that is really unaffordable or very hard to afford. A little bit like the cystic fibrosis story that Dr. Watley was talking about or some unusual cancers where there's some new drug and it costs one or $200,000 uh, a year to take it. And it's not covered by the private drug insurance plan. And it's definitely not going to be covered by the uh, government plan unless it's like a, a very exceptional circumstance where there's a compassionate coverage or where the government has decided in some very small niche situations, they're going to cover a drug. So for a cystic fibrosis drug, if there was a drug that actually prevented a lung transplant from happening in the next 10 years for somebody, as long as the drug doesn't cost as much as lung transplant, maybe it gets to be worth spending you know, a hell of a lot of money on a drug. But that's where the pricing debate goes on. I do think the manufacturers are sometimes very greedy. That doesn't help. They also want to make money for their shareholders. On the other hand, everybody wants to give access to anything that's available when it comes to their own health. People become very individualistic. And when you talk about universal health care or universal drug coverage, you cannot offer first class to everyone. That's why I said not everybody can fly business. Mm -hmm. So uh, back to the beginning of uh, what, you, what you shared with us, the system that's in place now does not need to be torn apart at the foundation. There are ways to streamline and make it more efficient without tearing it apart. Yes, and at least when it comes to the drug coverage side, not so much which drugs we're going to reimburse, I actually think, by the way, that the drugs we decide to reimburse on provincial formularies are quite reasonable. I don't think there's like a big gap where people aren't getting a drug they should need, except in these niche story situations. But I think if we can harmonize the deductible that is paid by people who are not in the categories of welfare or over 65, we can do better. I also think we need to ask an adult question of people over 65, should everybody be paying almost nothing or just a little bit of a co-payment once they're over 65, like a sacred trust? Or do we start asking people who are older, who are well off, to pay a bit more? But this is going to be a very difficult political discussion. Well, it's going I don't to be oh, the politicians have to have that discussion. It's definitely going to be political. 
one more question. We have about 45 seconds. What happens to people who the 6 million people in this country who have no family doctor? How does this affect them? It depends who they are. I think if people are over 50 years of age or 60 years of age and they don't have a family doctor, that is a problem. I think if somebody is 20 or 30 and they don't have a family doctor, it's nice to have one, but I don't think it has the same negative impact on healthcare use and undiagnosed disease that someone who's older would have if they're not having regular care. As you get older, you have more needs. You're more likely to have high blood pressure, diabetes, obesity issues. Um, diseases of aging and i think that's where you do need a family physician i don't think the family physician solution is the only solution it's an important part of the equation but it's not the whole thing if you want to hear more subscribe to the roy green show on apple podcasts google podcasts spotify stitcher or wherever you find your favorites and if you like what you hear leave us a review and tell a friend i'm roy green have a great weekend 